Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio with host Jerry Prokopovich. Our program covers all aspects of Civil War history, from the battlefields to the home fronts, and features guest experts, plus insight from your host as they discuss the most critical period in American history. Now, here is your host, Jerry Prokopovich. This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. When ranks were being handed out, what determined whether a Civil War officer got promoted or passed over? If it were just military accomplishment, then how was it that Thomas Munford, Colonel of the 2nd Virginia Cavalry, could serve through much of the war as a temporary, temporary commander, not just of his brigade, but even of his division, and yet never be awarded a Brigadier General's star? We'll find out from Sheridan R. Berenger, author of Unhonored Service, The Life of Lee's Senior Cavalry Commander, Colonel Thomas Munford, CSA. That's tonight on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you tonight from the third floor of the Brewster Building on the campus of East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina. Not South Carolina, not any other Carolina. Not Western Carolina University, certainly, but East Carolina University. Not, however, speaking for the university or anybody else, only for myself, as our, as I always do on Civil War Talk Radio, and as our guest will do the same, just speaking for ourselves. <clears throat> well, it is the second uh, show of the 19th season of Civil War Talk Radio. It's September 1st, Wednesday in September of 2022. I'm still <clears throat> recovering from COVID-19, uh, coughing a little bit, uh, managed to get through the introduction without uh, falling over, feeling fine, not uh, suffering any symptoms other than lingering congestion that people tell me will take another week or two to finally go away. I appreciate everyone's good wishes uh, since last week on, on this score. I'm happy to be back doing the show and back in the classroom. I uh, did not go to last week's football game because we had a family event instead, but what a contest that was, East Carolina losing to NC State by a one point. 
two missed kicks at the end, a blocked punt earlier that were costly. But some great play by the Pirates, an awesome four-play goal line stand that will live in memory. I'm excited to go to this week's game against whoever we're playing and uh, <clears throat> hope it will be as, as good, uh, good a game. Hope it will be a better experience for the fans. Apparently there were very long lines at the concessions and uh, they have to get that fixed. Uh, if you follow college football, you know then uh, also that the ranking system seems to be uh, a, a sham as it usually is my my other team my alma mater university of michigan beat uh, a squad that i don't think could win a 4a high school game and yet they moved up several points in the rankings for doing that nc state comes into east carolina that plays what looked like to me a very good ecu team watching the game on, on replay later and, he, and NC State goes down a bunch of spots for that. I, I think that's unfair. I'm suddenly a Wolfpack fan, an NC State fan, not just because there are some loyal listeners out there who I know are, are State fans, uh, and not just because one of my daughters is dating a young man who's a State alum, but also because it will help ECU in the rankings if it turns out that State is really a good team. So we'll see. Uh, this week's unpaid, unaware sponsor will be uh, Villa Verde, local restaurant uh, that serves uh, Caribbean-style food, and it's really good. That's all. They don't know we're here, but we got some uh, excellent Cuban sandwiches there last week. <clears throat> uh, next year, looking ahead to June already, it is uh, time to th- make your plans a year in advance or eight months in advance for the uh, Civil War Institute, which, uh, as they've done in the past, is offering you, the listener, a 15% discount if you sign up for the 2023 conference and use the discount code PAR. Uh, do that. I don't know what that stands for, but it gets you uh, some money off for being a Civil War Talk Radio listener. Other benefits of being a listener are that you uh, what are they that you that you get to donate to the show uh, go to the Civil War uh, talk radio website impedimentsofwar.org and there you'll see who's going to be on the show next uh, which I'll tell you right now will be uh, Jill Titus she'll be on September 14th with her book on Gettysburg 1963 Subtitle: Civil Rights, Cold War Politics, and Historical Memory in America's Most Famous Small Town. I found this book fascinating, <clears throat> and uh, I think you'll enjoy hearing from Professor Titus. On the 21st, Bill Blair will be here with the record of murders and outrages, racial violence, and the fight over truth at the dawn of Reconstruction. Uh, and on the 28th of the month, we'll wrap up with Chris Bryan and his Uh, Campaign History of the Union 12th Corps from Cedar Mountain to Antietam. I'm guessing that's one out of a series of volumes, but we'll find out what they did then. And uh, we'll follow that with Jeffrey Wirt, who for some reason has not yet been on the show, in spite of having written several hundred books, I believe, on the Civil War. His latest is on Spotsylvania, the heart of hell, the soldiers' struggle for Spotsylvania's bloody angle. Looking forward very much to having him on the show. And uh, we'll give you more updates as we get into the month of October. So uh, uh, this week, we welcome back to the show an old friend, uh, 
Sheridan R. Berenger's what it says on the cover. Uh, Butch Berenger is how I know him, and you know him. He's been on the show uh, twice before, actually, and happy to have him for a third time. Butch, are you there? Yes, thank you, Jerry. I'm glad to hear you're recovering from COVID. Uh, and the yeah. word about football, football teams, look, look what Virginia Tech did. Uh, so <laughs> I, won't, I won't say another word. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you, Virginia Tech was upset by Old Dominion, and uh, that's who's coming to Greenville this Saturday. So oh. I'm, I'm a little nervous about that because ODU <laughs> is going to be flying high after upsetting uh, Virginia Tech. And uh, ECU will have their hands full. We'll, we'll find out who's who's a pretender. Was is a ODU really good? Was NC State really weak? We'll learn a lot this weekend. Yeah. Uh, but yes, let's say no more about it. The first time you were on the show, we talked about uh, Rufus Berenger, uh, right. cavalry officer. And last time, a couple of years ago, uh, he, you wrote about Tom Rosser, Confederate cavalry commander. And now we've got Colonel Thomas Munford. Is it your plan to write about all the Confederate cavalry officers in Lee's Army? Uh, no, I want to write about one more in the, in the Army of North Virginia. That would be Williams Carter Wickham. That's my one I'm working on now, who also served as a brigade and division commander at times. So that, that'll probably wrap up my cavalry guys. Then I don't know what I'll do. Yeah. Some something will turn up. I'm I'm guessing. Um, did uh, Munford's story is certainly intertwined with that of uh, Colonel Tom or General Tom Rosser? Is, is was it the Rosser book that brought you to uh, to writing about Munford? Well, uh, partially because of that tremendous feud they had, but amongst them, uh, they hated each <laughs> other, and uh, Rosser was. Uh, junior to uh, Mumford for a little bit, but then uh, he was Stewart's prodigy, so Stewart pushed his promotions along and got him brigadier general pretty quick and not too long after major general. Well, uh, Mumford stayed at Colonel, and he was under uh, Rosser, and they did not get along at all. They wouldn't even go in each other's tents, and uh, it was just a bad situation. And uh, in my estimation, and I've talked to some historians about this, Mumford was a better cavalry commander than Rosser, at ma- major general. So that that really, and then I started reading all the letters. Mumford wrote tons and tons of letters and uh, and reports. So once I was into that, I was sold that Mumford needed a and deserved a biography. Well, the uh, I, I'm certainly sympathetic. One of my favorite uh, federal officers is, is General Alpheus Williams, who mm-hmm. was uh, you know commanded the 12th Corps at one point, uh, but never got the second star. He was always a brigadier general, probably the best mm-hmm. brigadier never to get that that promotion. Mm-hmm. And Munford certainly the same thing. He's commanding way over his grade, yeah. and yet yet never gets there. So. Um, one of the theories you offer in the book is that Munford was uh, passed over so many times in part because he was not a West Pointer, but yeah. he did have military training. Uh, yes, he he went to VMI and, mm-hmm. in fact, was a uh, senior cadet adjutant when a new professor named Thomas Jonathan Jackson showed up. And uh, so uh, Munford got to know and love him. 
uh, very much, very much, and uh, respected him and developed a deep friendship with him, which was, and was with him on his famous flanking march at Chancellorsville. So he knew he knew uh, uh, Jackson very well, and Jackson knew him. But I, I was interested in the chapters on VMI because I got some insight there. I, I visited. Uh, the site for the first time myself this past summer got to see it and uh, uh, you know certainly an impressive campus and an impressive history attached there mm-hmm. what it, it was a pretty new installation when when uh, Munford went there wasn't it yeah I forgot the exact year it was established uh, there was an armory up that way and uh, uh, it was decided finally that well let's Let's put a learning institution up there and have the cadets uh, participate in guarding the armory, have them responsible for it. So that was one reason it was uh, situated there. And um, by the way, uh, Mumford's father, George Wythe Mumford, who was named after George Wythe, was on the first uh, board of visitors of VMI and was probably responsible for his son going there instead of West Point. And but, ultimately, well, uh, a- after the Civil War, Munford will end up uh, back at VMI. Yes. He will end up back as a, a president of the Board of Visitors, and he and his friend, Francis H. Smith, who was superintendent of the Institute for 50 years, mm. uh, suddenly didn't get along Uh uh, Mumford was trying to straighten out some problems from the previous president and board of visitors, and uh, Smith thought it was taking away his authority, and so they got into a real tussle, and and it required the state uh, legislature to come in and straighten it out. Uh, but uh, later on, they became friends again, so all was forgiven. Yeah, I mean. Given that we're, we're talking about the feud with uh, Rosser and then uh, the, the dispute right. he has with Smith, one might get the impression that Munford was hard to get along with, but I didn't get that impression from the book at all. No, he he was hard to get along with in some cases, but I agree with you. It wasn't very many, and his, his soldiers uh, loved him, and he loved them more than anything, and he fought for their... Uh, uh, their health and safety and health health and safety of the uh, the horses uh, and he was uh, upset with Stewart's handling of the horses and his men saying that Stewart was in it for the glory and sending his troopers on risky missions uh, that do, really didn't re- need doing and uh, endangering the horses as well I know I'm jumping around here but uh, well well let, but let's gen- yeah, go ahead. Generally, Mumford got along with uh, most everybody uh, of his of the other officers. It was just a few, including mm-hmm. Stewart, of course, uh, who he thought was uh, by help partially responsible for him not making his brigadier's rank. So he was. When we talk about the Civil War career, he. he he's, Munford's a VMI grad, so at the very beginning of the war, like uh, so many others, he volunteers, he's ready to go to war. Uh, 
he was in, it seems, just about every major fight uh, in the Eastern Theater, starting with first bull run. He was, and uh, amazingly to me, he often led the charge and still uh, didn't get wounded. Uh, I mean, he got wounded uh, mm-hmm. once insignificantly and once slightly, uh, mm-hmm. but he was able to lead the charge and uh, not get seriously wounded like so many others did. Um, he was uh, he was brave, he was diligent, and he was uh, prepared. And he did his reconnaissance, and he was a good leader. So it, it, at first, Bull Run, he helped capture some artillery during the, the federal route after the battle. Uh, you know, at that point, he's, he's all this promise ahead of him that he could be promoted uh, uh, yes. to, to whatever yes. level. Um, but... We'll see how that turns out. What we'll do is take a short break. Uh, We'll come back in a few minutes and uh, follow the career through the war of uh, Colonel Thomas Taylor Munford. Uh, He is the subject of the book Unhonored Service, the life of Lee's senior cavalry commander. The author is Butch Berenger, who is our guest tonight. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on The Voice America Variety Channel. Today, many doctors prescribe basic pharmaceuticals to their patients who aren't feeling well or have various aches or pains. Is this the right course of action for all patients? We don't think so. Find out about healthy, natural ways to help you feel your best by tuning in to the CBD Ed Show with host Ed Cheney. Ed and his guests will explain full-spectrum CBD, using the whole hemp plant for good health and answer all of your questions about CBD and natural treatment in general. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. to Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu. Dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. 
talking tonight with Butch Berenger, author of Unhonored Service, the life of Lee's senior cavalry commander, Colonel Thomas Taylor Munford, CSA. Talking a little bit about Munford's pre-war training, a VMI grad, uh, volunteers, becomes colonel of a cavalry regiment, serves at first bull run. Uh, He's in almost all the battles of the uh, uh, the Eastern theaters, as I, I mentioned. And, and Butch, one of the things I thought was interesting about this book is how uh, you, know, you, you describe the battles that, uh, that Munford is in, and you also give enough sort of connective tissue uh, to, to put them in context. That is, if, uh, if somebody didn't know anything about what the cavalry did in Lee's army or, or what battles they were in, you do give enough information about battles, even ones that Munford was not in, uh, so that the story hangs together. I guess that that's, I guess I'm asking with the challenge of a biographer is if you only tell Munford's story, just what the second Virginia cavalry is doing, then only people like those listening to this show who already know, uh, that Antietam is followed by Fredericksburg, is followed by Chancellorsville, uh, already know the whole story, will be able to make sense of it. On the other hand, if you tell, try to tell the whole story of the war in Virginia and then fit Munford into it, you'd have to write a thousand-page book. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so how, how did you balance that out, decide how much to tell to, to, to keep the reader well, informed? Well, I probably was, probably was a little bit shy in telling an, uh, enough of the connective tissue uh, I'm a, I guess I assume that most of the people that want to read this book know mm-hmm. uh, quite a bit about the war and probably have this, a lot of these battles uh, arranged already in their heads as, a, as, as to when each happened and so forth. So mm-hmm. I may be uh, needing to do a little more work in that area with my next book. I, I mean, I, I'm not sure I'd agree with that. I thought this came out quite well. It, I mean, there were moments I'm, as I'm reading it, I'm you know, under a certain amount of, of, of time constraint to, to get the book read every week for the show. And uh, yeah. and then I would look ahead and I'd see, okay, here's a chapter saying, or not a chapter, but a paragraph saying, here's what happens next in, say, the Valley Campaign. Mm-hmm. And I would just glance at it and go, but that's not Munford's role. He's just giving us the background, and I already know basically mm-hmm. what he's talking about there. I can skip that and sort of skim down until we get back to Munford's story. Mm-hmm. Um, if it were a whole you know, chapter that way, I'd, I'd skip the whole chapter. Uh, mm-hmm. So it struck me that, that if, you, if you're going for people like us, uh, those of us who listen to a show like this, uh, you, you hit it pretty, pretty much on the head. Um, oh, good. Thank you. Uh- I need comments like that. Well, it, it, it's one of the tough things, you know, judging your audience and figuring how much to tell and without telling too much uh, that, that they don't already, that, that they already know and they don't need. Um, getting back to the specific story of what Munford did, he, he ends up uh, serving in the Valley Campaign uh, of 1862. I thought it was interesting uh, uh, to read about the selection of officers. In April of 1862, you point out that uh, the Confederacy essentially wipes the slate clean and has yeah. all the officers have to get reelected by their men. Can you talk about that right. process? 
Yeah, they had a complete reorganization of the uh, at least the cavalry mm-hmm. and uh, other other organizations too. And uh, uh, Radford, who was I guess Mumford's uh, colonel, was not reelected and and uh, was bitter about that and eventually retired or quit the service. And Mumford was elected uncontested to be colonel. And that was one of his proudest moments to be colonel of a regiment he he loved with all his heart, and uh, so yeah. But he but he did worry about too many officers of good quality had been let go uh, or not reelected because of feuds or whatever reason, and the service would suffer because of that. But uh, in his case. Uh, he was elected and proceeded on. So, so at this up to this point, he's been serving in the the Second Virginia Cavalry. Now he's he's formally going to be the the colonel of it, uh, right? For the rest of the war, right? But it's also in this campaign that uh, I mean, he's temper. Does he take over when Ashby is when Turner Ashby is killed? Uh, just temporarily, and that would be in June, June 6, I guess it was, in mm-hmm. 62, uh, when Ashby was killed, uh, uh, and Mumford would take over temporarily. But uh, And I think uh, Stewart was r- r- willing to let Mumford have the position. However, the folks in Richmond, Jefferson Davis, wanted somebody else to be... Uh, Take over that position, so they awarded it to. Uh, let's see, it was uh, William E. Jones, I believe. Mm-hmm. Or, no, Beverly Beverly Robertson. I'm sorry, Jones. That's right, later. Robertson. Yeah, Beverly Robertson, who uh, <coughs> Bumford uh, actually got along with uh, Robertson. Fine, it's amazing he got along with Robertson. Some of these guys are ornery and hard to get along with. He got along with. Uh, uh, others that were just just like that. Uh, even Joe Johnston, he, he was invited to dinner uh, mm-hmm. to have turkey with Joe Johnston in Richmond, uh, and uh, there were others that he 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 liked, got along with. So it, it's pretty clear he's not a, a difficult personality. But here's the first example where where Robertson gets the promotion to brigade command instead of. Uh, instead of Munford, even though he held it briefly. And this is the beginning of a pattern. He was going to be passed over uh, again yeah. and again when it comes Jeff up. Jeff Davis when, yeah, gave it to Robertson, and Munford should have probably gotten that, that position. And uh, it, it just continued and continued. Uh, William E. Jones passed him by. Uh, uh, William H. Payne. Uh, and Grosser, of course. So that's at least four guys right there that passed over Mumford for for the brigadier's rank. Yeah, no after second bull run. Yeah, and understandably no wonder he was so. embittered. Right. I mean, it makes sense that that he would be. Uh, at second bull run, he uh, after that battle, uh, he's actually recommended by by Jeb Stewart for promotion. Yeah, yeah. And that's the one where where, where Grumble Jones gets the position and uh, yeah, replacing yeah. Robertson. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, Rich, Richmond, yeah. So, so what is it? Even though his father was, remember, remember his 
Mumford's father was common was uh, secretary of the Commonwealth of Virginia, but that didn't mm-hmm. pull enough influence to get him that star. It, it's so. I mean, there's something weird going on here. That that he's he's not a bad guy. He's certainly not a bad right. commander. He he comes from. Uh, an elite family in Virginia. Uh, his father, right. you say, is a prominent political figure. Uh, so he's got all this pull going for him, all this record going for him, and and he he gets you know even recommendations from people like Stuart. Yet here he is still at the level of of uh, of colonel, the rank of colonel, even when yeah, he, can, he he does antagonize uh, his superiors. If he uh, gets complaints or from his troops, or he sees that the horses are suffering, he's on Richmond. He's not afraid to to, to uh, complain and go after them. And mm-hmm. uh, maybe that uh, hurt his hurt him uh, his uh, feelings of some of those folks in Richmond. It, and it, there were little things. Uh, he the Sam Sweeney, the banjo player. Was, oh, yeah. was in his unit and Jeb Stewart likes that music and he has Sweeney transferred into a different command to be closer to Stewart. <laughs> I'm sure uh, Mumford didn't like that. No. Yeah. no. <laughs> so uh, he, he's getting the short end of the stick uh, every time it seems. Now you yeah. mentioned uh, Stonewall Jackson. There's another person who, who certainly uh, was not opposed to Munford, uh, uh, and and do you point out that in the famous uh, flank march at Chancellorsville, when Jackson goes around the, the Federal flank, it's Munford and the Second Virginia Cavalry that are in the lead, uh, scouting for, for that march. For a while, yeah, until until he's instructed to go protect Ely's Ford. Um, yeah, Ely's River. He he is uh, right up there along with. His fellow VMI guys, uh, Stapleton, Crutchfield, and and uh, others from the class uh, are from VMI. Having trouble mm-hmm. picking up names at the moment, but uh, mm-hmm. Raleigh Raleigh Colston and Robert E. Rhodes and uh, George S. Patton. That that's the Patton of, of World War II fame. Uh, that's his grandfather. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, boy, again, he, he's he's tightly connected. He knows all these other successful leaders. But it was always his belief that the VMI connection was was more the problem, that, that the West Point clique determined if you weren't a West Pointer, you you weren't going to get promoted. Yeah, he, Mumford felt like uh, the West Pointers uh, uh, were elitist, and they did mm-hmm. consider... Anybody that didn't go to West Point, uh, office, uh, an officer, as an officer, uh, to be more or less militia, and uh, they weren't really up to snuff as a, as a real officer. Mm-hmm. So that certainly didn't. That certainly embittered Mumford even more. Now, if there's one place where we do see Stewart being dissatisfied with Munford. In his leadership, um, that would be Brandy Station, the the war's yes. biggest cavalry battle. Yes, uh, and, and you know, listeners, you're familiar, I'm sure, with this action 
beginning of the Gettysburg campaign, June 1863. Yeah. Um, Butch, tell, tell us what what did Munford do wrong, or did he do anything wrong? Well, that's, that's the question. Uh, the, it was interesting. The Federals were ready to march across the Rapp- Rappahannock uh, on June 9th, the morning of June 9th, and not not knowing that the uh, Confederates were right on the other side of the river, and the Confederates didn't know either. The Fe- the Union thought that uh, uh, Stuart and the company were back at Culpeper, so they were going to merge two two uh, forces and then go to Culpeper. But it didn't work out that way, and they had a huge fight on their hands. The Confederates were completely surprised, and Stuart knew that uh, whoever held Fleetwood Hill, which was the high ground, would mm-hmm. win the day. And it was a terrible fight, and uh, Stuart sent messages to folks to, hey, come on this way. He, he sent a uh, an aide to Mumford telling him to... Uh, Come on, come on my way, and leave your baggage there with the guard, and come on up this way. Well, Mumford didn't didn't know where he wanted he was supposed to come to. He didn't know Stewart was at Fleetwood Hill. He was eight miles away, up on uh, the Hazel River, and uh, northwest of uh, Fleetwood. And so uh, he he came up to where he heard firing, which was probably four miles short of Fleetwood Hill. And so he went in there and sent his sharpshooters in and had a, a fight uh, there. And uh, and then uh, finally he heard the massive fighting uh, noise at uh, Fleetwood Hill. And, and then he went uh, to the hill, got there at the end of the day. Uh, but I think the order that Stewart sent was ambiguous at best. And uh, I don't think Mumford could be, should be held responsible for misinterpreting that order. So, anyway, Mumford was there late, and Stewart didn't like it, and he sort of held a grudge against Mumford and didn't forget it uh, from then on. That's a short of it. So that that's where we see uh, the chance for promotion becoming a little dimmer after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he serves, he continues to serve, he... It, uh, in the Gettysburg campaign, uh, Fitzhugh Lee is is out of action temporarily, and there's Munford right. commanding the brigade. Uh, yep. And Fitz is in an ambulance at one point. He was uh, he couldn't couldn't ride the horse, and so mm-hmm. Fitz. I mean, uh, Munford took over, and then Fitz recovered and and came, and took over, and then it happened again. And uh, it's just uh, several times uh, Mumford took over for Fitz Lee to, to lead the brigade in that in that fall too. You're right. So he's leading them in on the way up to Gettysburg. He's not leading them at the East Cavalry Field, but then on the way back and the retreat, he's leading them. Uh, right. In uh, the fall of 1863, you point out uh, another. Uh, wrinkle in the uh, Confederate Cavalry Service, the abolition of Company Q. This was something new to me. What was Company Q? Company Q was a a designation given to uh, uh, a group of troopers that were were, uh, unable to, they were on foot, 
they didn't have a horse or they were sick or they were injured and couldn't ride with the main troop. That was designated as Company Q uh, informally. <laughs> and uh, they were, Stewart wanted to do away with that Company Q system and set up his hierarchy system, which is more complicated and would locate the horses away from the men so and put somebody in charge of the horses who really wasn't qualified to do that. And uh, when the men finally recovered and went back to get the horses, a lot of times they weren't there or their equipment wasn't around. So uh, Mumford was most displeased with that and complained to his father and others about Stewart's uh, I don't give a damn, but it, but anything but Company Q memo. So uh, uh, Longstreet, Mumford used what he called the rear pasture system, where the uh, horses were kept at a distance, safe distance, but not anywhere as far back as Stewart's uh, wanted to do. And so, uh, and the men and the uh, baggage were kept with the horses too. So much quicker retrieval system under. Uh, under the rear pasture system was Jackson employed also. So, so with, with, with uh, Stewart, he's trying to centralize the uh, the convalescents and the broken down horses and so on, get them yeah. at, at some brigade or division level. But as you point right. out, then they, they have a hard time getting back to their regiments and their, yeah. their stuff is all done. A couple extra layers of uh, authority in there and it's going to mess things up. We're going to take another short break now. We'll come back, talk more with our guest tonight, Butch Berenger. He's the author of Unhonored Service, The Life of Lee's Senior Cavalry Commander, Colonel Thomas Taylor Munford. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. 
Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking tonight with Sheridan R. Berenger, author of Unhonored Service, The Life of Lee's Senior Cavalry Commander, Colonel Thomas Taylor Munford, CSA. We've been talking about Colonel Munford and his uh, wartime-long leadership of the 2nd Virginia Cavalry, even though he periodically fills in for the brigade commander, sometimes even division commander, but never seems to get promoted. Um, Butch, I wanted, we haven't talked about his personal life uh, at all. Was, mm-hmm. was he married? He was. Uh, uh, he was married and... I'm, I'm, I'm missing the date here, but his his wife did die in January of 1863, mm. um, and so he had to go home. And he was home for a couple of months, mm-hmm. attended to all that plus uh, other matters. Uh, he was sick. He had he had an inflamed boil. He couldn't ride, so he was home till uh, some probably mid March of '63. Uh, but after his wife died, that, of course, crushed him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, anyway. So he, he returned to the front. Um, the, the, you point out he also uh, he had a brother, I think, killed at Malvern Hill. Uh, right. The, it, it was a not... It, it, the war took its toll, certainly, on, on the, the Munford family. Mm-hmm. Now, once he goes back... Um, uh, we talked about the Gettysburg campaign. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll we'll leap forward here so that we can uh, touch on all the interesting things that he does. In uh, in 1864, he's in the Overland campaign. Uh, his cavalry he'll be part of Stuart's cavalry that fights with Sheridan. Uh, Stuart, of course, is killed at Yellow Tavern. Uh, but he will go on to uh, to have some some dramatic successes, uh, most notably the the Battle at Trevilian Station. Mm-hmm. Uh, this brings together uh, uh, people you've written about elsewhere, Rosser, Custer. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the the whole the whole crew is here. Uh, mm-hmm. th- t- tell us about his role in that battle. Uh, that that uh, fight was, uh, of course, the largest cavalry battle. Of the all cavalry battle of the Civil War in June of 1864, and uh, Mumford was uh, under Fitz Lee at that point, and they were to come to the aid of Hampton, who had been attacked and uh, at Trevilian Station and was in some trouble. And he he called Rosser uh, into help, and Rosser showed up in time to uh, provide great help and endanger Custer, who was almost encircled and probably would have been captured or killed had uh, Fitz Lee showed up on time. However, mm-hmm. Fitz was late, and Mumford was with Fitz. But eventually they did show up, and uh, and uh, and uh, they, ch- they, they whipped uh, Custer and the boys, Mm-hmm. Sheridan claimed victory for that fight, but I think everybody knew that was a uh, false bravado there. And uh, Mumford uh, was helpful in that, uh, that that fight, and he. Uh, it, uh, but Hampton uh, and the rest of the leadership were 
upset with Fitz. He, they claimed he would only uh, uh, come to Stewart's aid in a hurry, but he didn't like Hampton, so he dragged his feet. Uh, I don't think that was really true, but that's what they thought. Now, in, in the aftermath, uh, the, the Confederate cavalry is sent out to the Shenandoah Valley uh, in 1864, uh, with uh, Munford again leading a brigade, at least temporarily. And there there we have the battle at Tom's Brook, which uh, features heavily yeah. in your, your book on, on Rosser. Uh, you and I talked about the Peter principle, that Rosser gets promoted to the level of his incompetence and right. uh, puts puts uh, the cavalry in grave danger at Tom's Brook. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How did Munford fare in that fight? Munford... Uh did what he was supposed to do. He was uh, uh, protecting uh, uh, Rosser's flank. In fact, uh, in mid-morning, he called Rosser over and said, look, uh, you're, you're way overextended. He was like 25 miles ahead of Early's army. Mm-hmm. And he said, you're way overextended. They're going to f- flank you. And, and Rosser, in his cockiness, said, I'll, I'll run him to Strasburg by 10 o'clock. Don't you worry about it. I've got this thing taken care of. And, of course, the, then the, the federal troops showed up, and they broke off conversation. But uh, Mumford was right, of course. He, the Custer and company uh, chased uh, Rosser 25 miles uh, uh, first to Furnace furnace and then even further than that back uh, and it was embarrassing they lost all their cannons they lost their wagons they lost everything and uh, this is what uh, when Rosser was shown to all that he was not nearly the commander that he thought he was mm-hmm. and Mumford and, and in the book there's like six or eight people that uh, express their opinions of Rosser's performance there, and uh, it's all negative, of course. And that was uh, essentially after the Cedar Creek battle next the next week. That uh, that was the end of the uh, Early's campaign in Shenandoah Valley. So nobody likes being shown up. Uh, and people are not grateful for accurate criticism. They're often unhappy about it. And Rosser certainly couldn't have appreciated that. That Munford was right. Uh, he was overextended. Right. Uh, on several occasions, uh, with Rosser and also uh, uh, in other occasions, these these situations that Munford gets and almost lead him into a duel. Um, did he yeah. ever actually fight a duel with anyone? Uh, no. Uh, at first, <laughs> on his last time at being, uh, I guess, bypassed, mm-hmm. uh, Rosser. Uh, promoted uh, um, William H. Payne <laughs> to the brigadier rank, bypassing Mumford again. Mm. And uh, Mumford, uh, in a fit of something, uttered some comment that offended Payne. And mm. Payne challenged him to a duel, and Rosser uh, kindly rejected, reminded uh, Payne that he was a Christian man. And they should be fighting the union and not themselves, and so and Payne accepted that uh, at face value, and that was the end of that one. Now another time, after the war, mm-hmm. Rosser and, and 
Mumford got into it. And uh, Rosser actually challenged Mumford to a, I'm sorry, yeah, challenged Mumford to a duel through a third party this time. And uh, Rosser, I mean, Mumford laughingly rejected the the, uh, challenge. And uh, this time Rosser got in trouble and got arrested, and he was not allowed to run for public office until the legislature removed the burden of him and a few others who had been in, in the dueling uh, business there for a short period of time. So at least twice he was challenged. But he had, he had the good sense to, uh, uh, to to laugh it off, as you say, rather than to participate in that, that uh, exactly. dangerous exactly. practice. Now there was another. Um, uh, he runs afoul of Rosser again in in the winter of, of 64, 65. Oh yeah. When uh, uh, there, there's a, a raid against uh, into Western Virginia, and and Munford says my troops aren't able to go, uh, and and Rosser actually arrests him for this. Yeah. Uh, Rosser's uh, Munford wanted him to wait because his supplies namely shoes for his horses and other supplies were due from Richmond the next day or two, and he asked uh, Rosser to postpone the raid like two days or something, and Rosser said, nope, we're leaving like I said. First thing in the morning, you have your troops ready to go. And uh, Mumford didn't, wasn't, and didn't go. And uh, he was put under arrest and would be later court-martialed for uh, various charges that Rosser trumped up, and uh, the court-martial didn't last long, and Mumford was acquitted, with, and there was a court rebuke to Rosser about having sufficient evidence to uh, bring char- charges against officers. So that, that worked out reasonably yeah. well there. Um, yeah. Running short on time, as always, uh, at the Battle of Five Forks, we talked about that last time, uh, the famous Shad Bake, so we'll skip over that. Uh, okay. Listeners can go back and hear our discussion uh, about the Rosser book. But I did want to ask you about what happens at Appomattox. Um, Carrie Janey's recent book uh, tells us uh, a lot about the details of the surrender, uh, that that are not maybe as familiar, and one of them is is the question of who actually surrenders. Munford didn't obey the Lee, didn't feel he was covered by the Lee surrender order. Uh, yeah, that's right. He said he he said he broke through the lines before the actual surrender occurred, uh, and uh, Rosser was the same way. So they mm-hmm. they both skedaddled and went back. Munford went took his men back to uh, Lynchburg. And with mm-hmm. thoughts of re- regrouping and going to join Joseph Johnson's army in North Carolina, which didn't happen. So he, he's really hardcore at the end. He's he's going to carry on oh. the war even after. Oh yeah, he, he, he wanted to keep fighting. Yeah, he said, "We got a country, we got a flag. Let's keep fighting." But uh, but didn't, uh, didn't so what brought that to an end? Uh. Uh, several things. Uh, he uh, he was in in uh, sick in a way, and mm-hmm. was stuck at the house. So he told the the, the men to go up uh, to a location and wait for him there, and he would be there as soon as he could get there. In the meantime, letters back and forth to everybody, trying to get find out from the 
Confederate uh, authorities what he should do. And eventually they just decided it's time to give up the ghost here. Let's go home. Once Johnston's army is surrendered, there's nowhere to go, really, is there? Right, right. So uh, in in, uh, just a minute or so, what what happens to him after the war? After the war, uh, he uh, went to, uh, spent most of his time in Alabama at a plantation called Oakland, three miles outside of Uniontown, Alabama, where the the property was inherited from uh, uh, his wife's folks. And uh, he he stayed down there in the winters at first, and then as time went on, he stayed longer and more often. Uh, And he did good work there. They did a crop rotation study for the the government. Uh, they, they, They... they had one of the largest barbecues, supposedly, in the South in 1909. Some good pictures of it in the book. Uh, the, the, the men in the neighborhood would get dressed up and come over, and the, one of the neighbors was a chief cook, and he would cook the barbecue, and uh, Mumford and Company would make the gumbo soup. And uh, yeah. the men would uh, go out before before the... Before the uh, eating and have some whiskey on the table out there and they would lie down and take a nap before they before they went home after after the dinner so it was a big big thing down there in the south that area of the country to have these barbecues he had one of the biggest one one last question before we we break off the uh you have a picture of him in, in the book showing him in a Confederate brigadier general's uniform, uh, yes. even though he was never actually promoted to that level. He claims, it, it apparently claimed in post-war letters that he was. Um, uh, yeah, he got a uh, Corps commander order from Fitz Lee that addressed him as brigadier, and he mistook that for, hey, this is my official uh, commission. And uh, he he just, from that point on, in his mind, he was a brigadier general, and he would fight for that the rest of his life. And so he, he, he took a, that and he ran with it. Uh, he ran with letter. it, had a uniform wow. cut, tailored for himself, wore it everywhere he wanted to. So, yeah, he was a brigadier general, and actually most people accepted that. Well, it, it, it was a... Rosser, of course. Of course. <laughs> Well, we will have to accept that we are out of time. Uh, I've enjoyed talking with you, Butch. Your book, uh, Unhonored Service, The Life of Lee's Senior Cavalry Commander, Colonel Thomas Taylor Munford, uh, tells the story of a figure worth telling. Uh, always a pleasure talking with you. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Jerry. I look forward to talking to you in the future. And listeners, as always, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.